Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now let's dig in. As suspect Brian Koberger sits in a cell in the Lataw County Jail in Moscow, Idaho, perhaps reading the dozens of handwritten letters in colorful envelopes that he's reportedly receiving each week from his female groupies. Prosecutors and his defense lawyers are busy preparing for his upcoming preliminary hearing. That hearing is slated to begin the week of June 26, and it likely will take several days. Some of the people who are going to be in the courtroom for that hearing are victim Kaylee Gonsalves' family. Her mother, Christy, has said that it's important for her family to be united and strong as they attend that hearing next month. Christy said, and I quote, I've never been to a preliminary trial before. I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what we're going to hear, but I know that I've got my son and my daughter will be there, and my sister and my husband, end quote. Kaylee's father, Steve, has let it be known that he can't wait to see the evidence. He said, and I quote, and then I'm gonna bring it, and he's gonna realize that this is the family that's gonna make sure he doesn't get away with it, end quote. It will undoubtedly be difficult for the Gonsalves family to be in the same room with Brian Koberger. When Christy saw him at an initial court appearance, she said, and I quote, My daughter saw him face to face and in a very different light than we saw him sitting there in court looking very meek. What will be particularly hard for the Gonsalves and any other families who attend the preliminary hearing, which is expected to last for several days, is seeing Koberger's defense lawyers treat him with kid gloves and coddle him. For the families, this is their child's accused killer. Listen to what Polly Lass's father, Mark, and Parkland victim, Alex Schachter's father, Max, told Vinnie Politan on Court TV yesterday about how families need to prepare for what they will see and hear in the courtroom during the preliminary hearing. You guys have a perspective that no one ever wants to have, but you have it. So if you could, I'll start with you, Mark. What will it be like for these families? I mean, at this preliminary hearing, they're going to hear the evidence for the first time they're going to hear some of these details what, what will that be like for them well any it, it's it's truly a constant assault on your sensibilities because you're sitting in a in a dispassionate setting listening to the last few hours of your child's life be dissected analyzed deconstructed reconstructed cross-referenced and compartmentalized and the instruction to you is don't show any emotion or you may be removed from the courtroom so unless you've been in a situation like this unless you've you've experienced the trauma of losing your child 
about, you know, one is you're hearing the evidence and the details. The other thing is you're in the room with the accused killer. Yeah, no, no question about it. It's 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 really really hard. I think for for us, the hardest part was um, looking and, and and seeing the defense really coddle um, the the Parkland murderer, touch him and 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 put their arm around him and and listen to the testimony of the of the defense, uh, which wants you to think that he's the victim and um, and and not and not. You know your your children that were brutally murdered. Uh, so you know I think that the parents need to, need to be prepared for uh, them to dress him up like Howdy Doody. Uh, they're going to put his seat all the way to the ground. They're going to put him on a sweater vest, um, possibly like they did with the Menendez brothers. So the purpose of this multi-day preliminary hearing is for the judge to determine if the prosecution has enough evidence to support proceeding to a trial. The evidence has to show probable cause that A, a crime was committed, and B, that the person charged with the crime committed it. FYI, in Idaho, preliminary hearings are only held for felony cases, and they're heard before a magistrate judge. During this critical hearing, the prosecutors are on the hot seat. They have to bring it. They will have to show their evidence to the judge, and that evidence has to be such that it could convince a jury that there's a strong suspicion that Kohlberger is guilty of the crime. The prosecutors will be calling their witnesses to testify during this hearing, and they'll be introducing their physical evidence. Note that the preliminary hearing is not a mini-trial, even though it might feel like it. Instead, it's a basic overview of the case. For its part, Koberger's defense team will have the opportunity to cross-examine the prosecution's witnesses. So the defense team can't just sit back and daydream during the hearing. They have to listen to what all the witnesses say, and they have to absorb all the physical evidence. Judge Megan Marshall, who will be presiding over the preliminary hearing, has the following options after hearing from all the witnesses and seeing all the evidence. One, she can determine that there is sufficient evidence to move forward to a trial. If this happens, then Brian Koberger will be bound over to the felony court, which is also known as the district court, for further action. So bound over means that the prosecutors have convinced the judge with the evidence they presented so that the defendant and the case will now be referred to the district court. Note that Koberger, if this does move forward to a trial, will still be presumed innocent at this point, and he will still have all the rights he possesses under the U.S. Constitution. And at trial, the prosecutor cannot argue to the jury 
that Koberger lost his preliminary hearing and that this somehow proves his guilt. Now, if Koberger had waived his preliminary hearing, that would have been him essentially conceding that the prosecution has enough evidence to keep him charged with the crimes. Normally, a defendant who waives a preliminary hearing is doing so as part of the plea negotiation process. The second option Judge Marshall has after hearing and seeing all the prosecution's evidence is to dismiss the case. This would be her saying that she doesn't feel the prosecution has enough evidence to convince a jury of Koberger's guilt. This could mean that Koberger is off the hook and the case is over, at least for the moment. This is what happened to Barry Morphew nine days before his trial was set to begin, when the judge in the Morphew case blocked the prosecution from using most of its expert witnesses at trial for violating discovery rules. The prosecution's case against Barry Morphew was pretty much crippled. The prosecutors had failed to hand over potentially exculpatory evidence to the defense ahead of Morphew's trial. Barry walked out of the court a free man, but that doesn't mean the prosecutors can't charge him again in the future if and when they find more evidence, namely Barry's missing wife, Suzanne. The third option Judge Marshall has is to reduce the charges against Koberger to less serious offenses, say to misdemeanors. During the preliminary hearing, Koberger's lawyers will be carefully watching and listening. They'll be trying to spot any and all weaknesses in the prosecution's case, including issues with the physical evidence and issues with the credibility of witnesses. And you can bet that if the judge decides to move forward with a trial, that Koberger's defense lawyers will be meticulous in comparing what the prosecution's witnesses said at this preliminary hearing to what they say during the actual trial. The defense will have a full transcript of the preliminary hearing to refer to. So if a witness is inconsistent with what he or she said during the preliminary hearing and then the trial, the defense can use this to impeach the witness. To impeach means to to discredit a witness during a trial or to undermine that witness's credibility. If a witness is inconsistent, if a witness is tripped up and caught out in a lie, then the defense can show the judge and or the jury that the witness's testimony should not be believed. So let's assume Judge Marshall decides that the case should go to trial. The next event will be in arraignment hearing, and that's where Koberger will again be advised of his rights, and most important, Koberger will enter his plea. He'll either say he's guilty, not likely that'll do that, or he'll say not guilty. Early on, Koberger said through his first public defender, Jason Labar in Pennsylvania, that he's eager to be exonerated of these charges, so it's likely he's gonna plead not guilty. It will be after the arraignment that prosecutors will let it be known if they intend to seek the death penalty. The prosecutors have to file a written notice of intent to seek the death penalty with the court, and they also have to serve that notice 
to the defendant and his attorneys no later than 60 days after Koberger has entered his plea. All signs are currently pointing to prosecutors seeking the death penalty against Brian Koberger. First, Koberger's public defender, Ann Taylor, is death penalty certified, as is her co-counsel, Eliza Massa. And if ever there was a case deserving of the death penalty, it's this one. You have multiple victims. You have evidence of premeditation. You have Kaylee Gonsalves' family who has said that it wants the death penalty. And prosecutors are elected officials. Thus, there will be a lot of political pressure on them to seek the death penalty. And no doubt Brian Koberger's mother, for one, will be very upset if they seek the death penalty. We know that she's written articles for the editorial section of newspapers saying she's against it, which to me is so ironic. It makes you wonder if she had a premonition that her son could go on to commit an act that could have him facing the death penalty. Next will come the trial. In Doomsday Mom, Lori Vallow's trial, she was found guilty on all charges. Hooray for that. After her verdict was read, Vallow was transported back to jail to await her sentencing hearing. The judge presiding over her case, Judge Boyce, said that it will take several months before sentencing can happen because a pre-sentence investigation report, or PSI, needs to be written first. Listen to what Judge Boyce said about that. At this time, then, the court will discuss briefly sentencing in this case. In Idaho, pursuant to Title 19, Chapter 25, a report is required to be prepared before sentencing called a pre-sentence investigation report. In a typical case, that report takes at least two months to prepare. In a case such as this, it will likely take longer. The court will inquire as to a pre-sentence investigator for the time frame required to prepare the report in this case. Upon getting an estimation, then the court will reach out to counsel for determining a date for sentencing. I'll just advise everyone that will likely be, I'm thinking at least three months probably before that sentencing can be scheduled to have the report completed. So Koberger, if found guilty, he too will need to wait for a PSI, pre-sentence investigation report, to be written. And I would assume his PSI will be all the more complex if the prosecutors do decide to seek the death penalty. PSIs are complex reports, and in Idaho, they're written by a pre-sentence investigator. Basically, the report will include all the elements of the case, that need to be taken into consideration by the judge when he or she decides what sentence is most appropriate for the now convicted criminal. Let's imagine Koberger is found guilty. The report will list all of his charges and all the charges that he was found guilty of. It will include all pertinent information regarding the planning and preparation that went into the crime, the circumstances of what led to Koberger's arrest, as in the date he was arrested, who arrested him, where he was arrested. The report will also include a brief history 
of Koberger's appearances before judicial officers. How did he behave? Another critical section of this report is the victim impact section. This section will include all information related to how the crime affected all the victims, including the slain student's family members. How were they affected emotionally? How has the family as a whole been impacted? There are a bunch of other sections in the report as well, including one where the defendant's acceptance of responsibility for the crimes he's been convicted of is assessed. Again, let's say Koberger is found guilty. Did he protest after being found guilty? Did he show any remorse? Did he apologize to anyone? Finally, it comes time for the sentencing hearing. If the prosecution does not file a motion to seek the death penalty, then the judge will be tasked with imposing the sentence. And whatever that sentence is, it should be sufficient but not greater than necessary to reflect the seriousness of the crime, to promote respect for the law, to provide just punishment for the crime, to adequately deter criminal conduct, and to protect the public from further crimes by the defendant. If the prosecution did seek the death penalty, then the jury will decide if Koberger should be sentenced to death, and all the jurors need to be on the same page. All 12 have to vote unanimously. If all 12 jurors decide that Koberger should be sentenced to death, then he will go to Idaho's death row. He'll also probably appeal that sentence. If all 12 jurors decide that Koberger will not be sentenced to death, then the judge will take over and the judge will sentence Koberger to a term of life in prison, probably without the possibility for parole. And note that the judge can overturn a jury's verdict if he or she feels there's insufficient evidence to support their verdict. So the judge, no matter what, is the ultimate decision maker. Guys, we are in for a wild ride with this case. I hope this does go to trial. I hope the trial is televised. This is one trial I know I will be glued to. Justice for Kaylee, Maddie, Zanna, and Ethan, and for their families who will be suffering for the rest of their lives. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel. It's a free way you can say thank you, and I'll see you next time.